Jordan Peterson owns a New Zealand journalist. Part two. Mr. Reagan. Sorry about the two-part video thing, but this one is really long. And who wants to sit through that much Jordan Peterson analysis all at once? Well, hopefully some of you guys. <laughs> Back to the video. The other thing that's missing is service. Uh, most similar books to yours would would find a way to say in their list of 12 things, or whatever the list was, would, would include a way that was explicitly about service. You say it late in the book, um, when you're looking, listing a, a list of principles for living by, you say, what shall I do with the poor man's plight? Strive through right example to lift his broken heart. What that says is you don't help him but you show him what a better person you are so that he'll want to copy you. No, you show him what a better person is, not what a better person well, you it's are. You, well, it's the same thing, isn't it? You, you, not necessarily. Uh, you strive because through right you example. You, 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 you're saying right example in your own personal life. I'm better than you and you need to be like me. No, that you're an example of something that's better. And, and I don't, for example, when I'm lecturing, assume that I'm better than the people that I'm lecturing to, which is part of the reason why people respond positively to my lectures. I assume that we all have plenty to learn. And Rule 5, for example, in my book, which is about raising children, is all about service. And so is Rule 6, which is to clean up your room before you criticize the world. And so the idea that the book is somehow a pan to individual individualism in the same way that, say, Ayn, Ayn Rand's philosophy is, is just completely in, inappropriate. It's you don't not think the it case. Could be, you don't think it could be read that way? I think Clearly it can not. be read in all sorts okay. of ways, but that's certainly not the aim of it. You've now, here I think that Simon Wilson is pushing back on Jordan Peterson's admonition of young people to go out on the streets and protest things that they are not educated about. Jordan Peterson's idea about making your bed before you try to save the world is really about taking responsibility. It's a lot of fun to complain about things. Complaining can be cathartic. Uh, complaining can also make us feel as though we are helping the world. There is this idea in our modern culture that complaining about things is helpful in that it spreads awareness. Uh, this is a common excuse for many of the annoying, self-righteous, virtue-signaling, preachy posts that you see on social media. I'm just spreading awareness. And Jordan Peterson never says that you should not go out and try to do good things in the world. He doesn't say that you should not protest if you believe strongly in an idea. But what I think Jordan Peterson is uh, trying to get people to do when he says, before you go out to try to save the world, try making your bed, he's trying to get people to understand that in order to get to a place in which you are able to effectively change the world in a positive way, uh, you need to understand the world. Now, it is possible that somebody who doesn't make their bed, eat right, exercise, uh, is socially inept and who is financially incompetent, it's possible that this kind of person can change the world positively. However, chances are, if your life is a mess, you do not perceive the world correctly. And this is a valuable indicator. If you have a lovely place, nicely cleaned, and you're able to hold down a job, you're able to have a girlfriend, or better yet, a wife, if you're able to support children, maybe you own a house and a car, and you've got the bull by the horns, as we used to say, if you've taken on enough responsibility and you've succeeded enough in your life, so much so that you can confidently say that you are navigating through life, through society, through the difficult challenges of this world effectively, well, that is a good indication that you understand the way the world works, at least in some small way. If you've not been able to take on any responsibility, and you've not been able to succeed in your life in any way, 
Well, that is a strong indication that you do not understand the way the world works in any way. And so what Jordan Peterson is trying to say when he's telling you to make your bed is you may think you understand how to save the world, but your own life is a mess. So maybe you should employ a little humility. Maybe don't protest against things about which you do not fully understand. Maybe don't protest against things about which you do not remotely understand. I agree with Simon Wilson in that doing good works in the world is a good thing. I think Jordan Peterson would agree to that too. In fact, I'm pretty sure that there is no one on earth, right wing or left wing, that would disagree with that idea. This guy is criticizing Jordan Peterson for not including every potential positive suggestion that could ever be suggested in the whole world of possible suggestions. And again, Jordan Peterson is trying to present people with ideas that maybe they haven't heard before. He's not creating books of lists of conventional wisdom. He's giving people knowledge that they lack, not knowledge that they already have. So if Simon Wilson wants to write a book entitled Things That You Already Know You Should Do and Ways You Already Know You Should Act, well, that's his prerogative. Those are not the books that Jordan Peterson has chosen to write. And perhaps those two things are good suggestions for Jordan Peterson. Maybe he could include them in his future books. But it is not Jordan Peterson's responsibility to include every possible piece of advice imaginable in every book he writes. The fact that he hasn't told everyone to brush their teeth every day, that does not mean that Jordan Peterson's books are not valuable. It is a bizarre criticism, and I don't think it is a particularly useful criticism. And I'm a little irritated with myself for having spent so much time responding to this particular bit of nonsense, but it annoyed me. So, hashtag no regrets. You've called yourself a traditionalist uh, and a conservative in the sense of being aware of my own ignorance, and you've quoted your Hippocratic oath, first do no harm. You make a lot of people very upset, and I wonder whether I make a small minority of very figure, noisy okay. people very upset. <laughs> I wonder but whether I you make figure. a lot of people very happy, right, and I, I would say that's like ninety-five percent of people. You don't accept the charge then that that you, um, although you are an advocate for more order, that you are actually fomenting chaos, that you're quite deliberately fomenting chaos by. I'm certainly not deliberately fomenting it because I don't enjoy deliberately fomenting chaos. And if that's a consequence of what I'm saying, well, that's how it goes. But there's nothing deliberate about that. Not everybody agrees with you about everything. Doesn't that mean that you are deliberately fomenting chaos? This guy has to know that was a moronic question. Okay, before we move on to the next clip, I think we should talk about numismatics. Are you a numismatist? You should be. It sounds like something Harry Potter was into, but it isn't. Or maybe it is. I have no idea. I didn't read the books. Numismatists are coin collectors, and coins are cool. Did you know that every year the U.S. Mint releases new coins into its America the Beautiful 5-ounce coin series? This has been running since 2010, and they cover the kinds of things that make America great, like our national parks and landmarks. Check out the beauty and size of this coin. All right, they make me say beauty and size. What I'd like to say is, holy crap, that is awesome. I mean, it's, it's freaking, it's really, really big. It's enormous, and it's very cool. This year, the Mint has chosen to celebrate Lowell and the fight of the Mill Girls, War in the Pacific National Historical Park, War in the Pacific, the San Antonio Missions, and the River of No Return, the Salmon Valley Wilderness Park. These slices of American history and heritage are difficult to get a hold of, and they sell out quickly. Incredibly, Noble Gold has managed to secure some, and they're doing a combo of their own best-selling Trump 2020 Freedom 1-ounce silver coin with one of the America the Beautiful coins. This is at a 
discount of $25. This is a generous offer and an unbeatable value for such special and rare coins. Go to Trump2020.com and use the code MrReagan25 to receive this incredible discount. Go to Trump2020.com and use the code MrReagan25 to secure yours. And honestly, I think that they are very cool. They make cool gifts and it's just kind of a fun thing to have. Become a numismatist. All right, now back to the video. In every interview I've seen you give, and I've watched a lot of them, you never say there's something in that, or you're partly right, or maybe I went a little far. You, you never make any of the conciliatory statements that most people might make if, if they were trying to reach towards agreement with people for a way forward. Well, it depends very much on the interview. Like if you watch my interviews with Joe Rogan, if you watch the YouTube videos that, have, that are long yes. form, it's always the case that there's a conciliatory discussion. It's just that the traditional media forms, which tend to be more adversarial, don't allow for that sort of dialogue. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it as the interviewee. Um, social, you're a social scientist. You, you know the world is filled with a thousand shades of grey. Um, but the tenor of what you say consistently is that it's black and white. It seems very unscientific to me. Um, I need an example before I can respond to that. Well, you don't think the book is full of those examples? The world that are is black like and white? You know, you Not particularly. Uh, okay. I, I think there are terrible shades of grey that that, that torment people when I'm asking people, for example, to take stock of their own lives. What that is, is a matter of taking a look at what's gray about their lives and trying to divide it into what needs to be sorted out and fixed and what needs to be maintained. And there's gray everywhere. And, and, and the idea that you need to walk the line between order and chaos is certainly not a description of a world in which there are simple black and white um, rules because the, that line is something that changes that's, that's, that's shifts all right, the time. That's absolutely right, but I, I don't read your book as a walking the line. I read your book as a let's return to order. Uh, then I think you should read it more carefully. <laughs> okay. Totally pointless mischaracterization of Jordan Peterson. I hear the term unfavorable interpretation bandied about rather frequently these days. But oftentimes, I think, actually, that's too charitable of a description. Most of the time, I think that unfavorable interpretation is actually a deliberate mischaracterization. In this case, there is no interpretation or mischaracterization. This is simply a baseless accusation. Look, there's too much Jordan Peterson material available on YouTube and throughout his various writings for me to even begin to defend his ability to perceive the world as nuanced, muddy, with gray areas, as Simon Wilson puts it. It's pointless for me to comment on this. To suggest that Jordan Peterson only works in black and white is such an absurd accusation that to anyone familiar with Jordan Peterson, it just comes across as slanderous. There is no real point to me commenting on this in any detail. Last year on NBC News in Toronto, that diversity, inclusivity, equity, all of those things together make up a very toxic brew. Mm -hmm. a Especially equity. Okay, there's a shock tactic going on in there. And uh, sometimes it's not that you will claw it back, but many of your followers will say, he didn't say that. You have to insist on the context. He might have been misquoted. But I wonder whether... I wasn't misquoted. No, okay, so that's the quote. But I wonder whether there's a clear message buried in that, not really even buried in, in that statement, which is that the values of the modern world are terrible and we have to go to war on them. No, there's a message that there's something extraordinarily dangerous about the combination of the mantra of diversity, inclusivity and equity, especially equity, because it concentrates on equality of outcome. And equality of outcome is a, it's a, it's a failed endeavor in every possible manner, philosophically, practically, historically. Um, it's been a complete disaster, and that's because it's a logical impossibility and a, 
and a practical nightmare. It's also pretty easy to argue that that's a straw man argument, that, that actually we do believe in equality of opportunity. We do accept that a society has a range I, of incomes and values. I wasn't talking about equality of outcome, opportunity. I was talking I, about equality I, of I, outcome. That's no, what I'm saying. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm suggesting that painting society as being fixated on equality of outcome doesn't actually accord with what we, what we And I, I don't think or. society is fixated on it. I think a small minority okay. of very noisy people are fixated on it to the detriment of everyone else. There was a it's, it's a completely untenable goal. Simon Wilson does something here that he's done earlier in the interview, which makes me think that this is actually a conscious tactic. He seems to pretend not to understand what Jordan Peterson is saying in the quote that he relates back in the question that he asks. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he genuinely didn't understand the quote. And then when Jordan Peterson explained it to him, that made sense to him. And then the follow-up question was then composed because of this new revelation. But there was no expression of revelation. Simon Wilson did not express any kind of newfound appreciation for what Jordan Peterson was expressing. He just carried on with the next question as if he perfectly understood that, yep, yeah, well, this is what Jordan Peterson meant all along. And now it's time for a follow-up question since the initial question did not trip Jordan Peterson up. So look, I don't know if this guy is trying to mislead the audience or if he genuinely doesn't understand Jordan Peterson's ideas despite claiming to have seen countless interviews. The follow-up question is a far more interesting one. Simon Wilson proposes an idea that I often propose in my videos when I'm talking about the left. He proposes the idea that perhaps people like Jordan Peterson, people like myself, people on the right who complain about identity politics coming from the left, who complain about this desire for equality of outcome, perhaps we're complaining about a problem that doesn't really exist. Perhaps we're complaining about a problem that's so insignificant that we are foolish to be focusing so much on it. This is really interesting because it is precisely the argument I make about the left's obsession with white racism in America, the patriarchy, sexism, homophobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia, all the things that so many people on the left talk about so frequently in the media. This guy is making that same argument, except he's making it about us complaining about equality of outcome. Now, the reason I say this is really interesting is because I've actually never heard anyone on the left make this point. And I think the reason I've never heard anybody on the left make this point is because it's so obviously true the left advocates for equality of outcome. But perhaps also, it's because people on the left aren't actually familiar with the concept of equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity. And this goes back to the point that a lot of leftists, even very well-educated leftists, are extremely ignorant about a lot of things, particularly about what we on the right think about things. And maybe this guy doesn't fully understand the concept of equality of outcome. If he thinks that there are not a lot of people on the left advocating this idea, then he's either delusional or severely ignorant. Because although I agree with Jordan Peterson that it is a minority of people who are very loud and causing all the problems for the rest of us, there are a lot of people that advocate equality of outcome, but, but maybe they don't fully understand that that is actually what they are advocating. Equality of outcome, whether they know it or not, is what all the feminists are demanding. This is what all the ethnic minority activists are demanding. We need equal representation of women in power. We need equal representation of ethnic minorities in power. Every time somebody talks about equal representation, they're advocating equality of outcome. The fact that this guy doesn't understand that, actually, I kind of feel bad for him. I think this is probably a product, not so much of him not doing his homework, but rather having done his homework, but from such a fixed perspective that he was unable to actually understand much of the stuff that he watched or read. I mean, if you approach a subject with enough skepticism, you are in danger of not accepting the ideas that you're exposed to, no matter how sensible they are. If you're 
terrified of spiders, for instance. It does not matter how innocuous a particular spider is. It doesn't matter if I teach you that this spider does not have fangs. It doesn't matter if I show you this spider on somebody else's skin. No matter how safe you're told the spider is, if you're terrified of spiders, you do not want me to put that spider on you. And I think that's what happened with this guy and his research of Jordan Peterson. Somebody who thinks that Jordan Peterson is pure evil is going to expose themselves to his ideas with that filter. And that filter is going to distort Jordan Peterson's ideas in the person's mind. And you can never fully comprehend what somebody is saying if you are perceiving all of their motivations as evil and all of their intentions as evil. And I think that's the problem. I think that may be the problem with a lot of leftists who listen to us on the right. It's amazing because this guy is clearly familiar with many of Jordan Peterson's ideas. He just has to take one small step from hearing the idea to understanding the idea and then he would be red-pilled. But he's so terrified of challenging his own worldview that he will not take that small step. There was a process that happened uh, recently with Alec Manassian, who was that, the terrible case of the, the man in Toronto who drove into, yes. uh, your, in your hometown, drove into a crowd of people, killed mm-hmm. many people. Mm-hmm. Um, you tweeted, uh, I'm sorry, there was a tweet about you that, that suggested, could ca- you, it was your tweet, could casual sex necessitate state tyranny? And the missing responsibility has to be enforced somehow. Mm-hmm. And then that became interpreted as Jordan Peterson believes in enforced monogamy. That was interpreted uh, by a New York journalist who knew right, perfectly yes. well that that wasn't what I meant. Exactly. And then that was interpreted mm-hmm. as monogamy should be promoted as the norm. Which well, of course, it is and should which be. Is, which is what happens now, of course. It mm-hmm. is, it is and in most cultures as, yeah, around the world. Indeed, yeah. yeah what so, I meant so was it's not a big if, statement to make, is it? No, it's, not it's, at all. Yeah, and what yeah. I meant was that if people didn't take individual responsibility responsibility for their own sexual propriety, that what would happen would be that there would be totalitarian intervention in the, by the state in order to replace the missing morality. You That's also, all I meant. You also told Joe Rogan, if you're a young, because you wanted to clarify what you meant, mm-hmm. if you're a young man and all the women are rejecting you, then who's got the problem? It's not all the women. Mm-hmm. That's a very bad road to go down. Yes, that's and for sure. I imagine a lot of people would have been very happy to hear you say that. Mm-hmm. I've said it repeatedly. Indeed. I mean, I've talked to men continually about right. the fact that so they need to grow up and accept Over a six-month process, we had that series of statements from you. Speaking clearly is one of your 12 rules. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why it is that in a situation like that and in many other situations, what actually happens is that you sow confusion. Mm, I don't sow confusion. The journalists that interview me sow confusion. Well, the woman think, who wrote the New York Times article. Why do you think that happens, article. that, oh, that for you her, get misinterpreted in your views so oh, often? With her, it was absolutely clear. I spent two days with her, and we spent 30 seconds talking about enforced monogamy, and she's a very smart woman, and she knew exactly what I meant and chose to make that the centerpiece of the article for, for I would say, to attract attention in a way that was completely inappropriate. But you know it's not just a journalist from the New York Times. You know that this happens over and over and over. That's because the journalists read each other's journalism okay, and they don't so, read the so books the fault, and the they don't watch what I'm saying. Never with you. The fault well, is, no, the yeah. fault is sometimes with me. Okay, I mean, it's not right. like I, every, I always say everything perfectly. But there's, there's no, it's, I mean, it's getting dull to read the journalistic accounts because they're just mirror images of everything that's been written over the last year and a half. And the same old things. There's 
10 epithets that are generally thrown at me, every one that you can possibly think of, and people have gone over everything I've said to my students for the last 30 years, almost all of which is recorded, and found absolutely no evidence for any of that, even once. Jordan Peterson answers this beautifully. The phenomenon that he's explaining, where journalists are misrepresenting Jordan Peterson's ideas because they're reading interpretations from other journalists, absolutely accurate. I've watched a lot of Jordan Peterson interviews, and the same misperceptions are expressed over and over over and over again. It is bizarre. It's as if the journalists are listening to the questions of the other journalists, but not the answers that Jordan Peterson is giving. However, again, I think Jordan Peterson is missing a chance to confront this guy about the absurdity of his question. Simon Wilson points out that Jordan Peterson encourages people to speak clearly, and then he provides an example in which maybe something that Jordan Peterson once tweeted out once was maybe unclear to someone. And then Wilson says... If you think people should be clear, why weren't you clear? (laughs) What a douchey a-hole. His question implies that Jordan Peterson was being intentionally confusing. Obviously, that is not the case. Jordan Peterson takes great pains to express himself as clearly as possible, almost constantly. Furthermore, his question suggests that any time anybody gives advice, that they are somehow being hypocritical if they ever fall short of perfection in acting in accordance with that advice 100% of the time. If your mother ever told you to drive safely and then she ever got into an accident, well, she is an effing hypocrite. If anybody ever told you to avoid carbohydrates, but they themselves once had a breadstick, well, they're just a hypocritical piece of crap. No point in listening to their advice ever again. They had a flipping breadstick. What a degenerate. You know what? Sometimes the reason why we know that one should or should not do something is because we are failures at taking the appropriate action ourselves. If an alcoholic tells you not to drink alcohol, his alcohol problem does not negate the value of the advice. Now, in the case of Jordan Peterson, obviously, this is not the case. Jordan Peterson is very clear with what he says almost all the time. If, upon occasion, somebody misinterprets something that he says, that does not negate the value of his advice about clarity of communication. It also does not indicate in any way that Jordan Peterson is not trying to be clear. It merely indicates that he failed to do so in communicating with one person once. This is an impossibly high standard to hold anyone to. Jordan Peterson's ideas have been communicated to millions of people all over the world to demand that every single one of those people perfectly understand every word that he has ever said or else his advice about clarity is not being followed by himself and therefore he is a hypocrite, is moronic, and a bizarre assertion. These journalists who interview Jordan Peterson in this hostile way never cease to amaze me with the stupidity of their questions. Last year you said, uh, asked what you would say to Justin Trudeau, your prime minister, and you said... You thought for a while and you said dividing people into their tribal groups can do nothing but bear evil fruit in the long time, in mm-hmm. the long run. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that isn't a very good example of the assumption that the world was properly organised before when really it's always been in tribes, always been in classes and in gender groups and in races and the organisation of the world in that way has always borne evil fruit. Mm-hmm. And I wonder... In addition to that, whether you recognize that you are one of the world's leaders of identity politics. Uh, no, I don't think you don't, I'm one, you don't I don't accept believe that. that. I don't believe you don't that believe that's you are a champion for an identity group? What would be the identity group? Uh, white men. No, I think that that's an appalling accusation. And I think if you go to my talks, for example, that there's no evidence that that's the case. And it's certainly, you certainly have no evidence that that's my readership. And even if it was the case, that 
the predominant people that I'm talking to are men between the ages of 25 and 35. That doesn't make me an identity politician, and those people need to be talked to too. Why does that not make you an identity politician? Those people because I'm not be inviting to. them. I'm not arguing they shouldn't be talked to. I'm just I'm just wondering why you would say that you weren't an intellectual leader for for that group of people and many others. Because I'm not I, I'm not inviting them specifically to what I'm doing. That's just how it's turned out. And the part of the reason for that is because the YouTube, YouTube viewership is 80% male across the board. Mm. That has nothing to do with me. The vast majority of my students throughout my academic career have been women, at least 80% of them. And well, certainly it's a, a very large proportion of women that are, that are reading and buying the book. So this is just a trope that journalists use. Your audience is primarily angry, young, white men. It's like, okay, fine, I've talked to about 350,000 people yeah. in the last year, and there hasn't been one incident, one in untoward incident of any sort by any single one of the people who've come to my talks, and that's 350,000 okay. people. So where's the aggression? Yeah, you see what this is another thing that I seem to constantly have to discuss every time I react to a Jordan Peterson interview. These journalists interviewing Jordan Peterson always seem to want to identify Jordan Peterson as some kind of misogynist simply because his audience is primarily men. First of all, there is nothing wrong with addressing the problems of men exclusively. I know that this is not what Jordan Peterson does, but is the premise of the accusation. So I just want to first shut that down. If you are somebody who has advice for men specifically, uh, and you know that does not make you some kind of a sexist monster. I have a friend here in LA who occasionally puts up on her Instagram advice for men about how they can appropriately approach and date women. Now, is she a misogynist because she's only advising men? No, that's ridiculous. The truth is there are tons of psychologists, advice columnists, and astrologists who are advising women all over the country every single day in newspapers, on TV, and on YouTube. I see very few people out there specifically providing advice to men. And of the few people who I do see advising men, almost none of them have good advice. Most of the advice is terrible. It doesn't actually resonate with men. Some guys are out there advising men on dating. Some of that advice is good. Some of that advice is bad. But very little of it relates to a man's life outside of picking up girls. So when somebody like Jordan Peterson appears on YouTube and millions of guys find his advice helpful, it shouldn't be that surprising that he becomes popular among that particular demographic. Furthermore, if there is a void in our culture that he has filled, if there is this strong need for such advice amongst men, Everyone should be praising Jordan Peterson for satisfying that need and filling that void. Now, there is a further accusation that most journalists make, which is that Jordan Peterson fans are alt-right. Journalists then go on to imply that Jordan Peterson is alt-right himself because he is attracting these fans. This journalist here doesn't say that specifically, but that is the typical insinuation. This journalist here does not say that specifically, but that is the typical insinuation after it's established that most of Jordan Peterson's fans are men. The more sinister accusation, which is further implied by all of these other accusations is that Jordan Peterson is secretly a racist or a misogynist. That's really what these journalists are trying to imply at the end of the day. I mean, it seems like a crazy jump in logic, but that's really what these journalists are trying to expose with their interviews. It's crazy, but it's true. And Simon Wilson is perfectly aware of this. If he has seen as many interviews as he says he's seen, then he knows that by bringing up the idea that most of Jordan Peterson's fans are men, he knows that the typical implication is that Jordan Peterson is a racist and a misogynist. And the truth is, maybe some of Jordan Peterson's fans are alt-right. Maybe some of his fans are racist. But that doesn't make Jordan Peterson a racist. 
Your fans do not define you. You may be defined by those who you are a fan of in some way, maybe, but you are certainly not defined by those who are fans of you. I'm a fan of Beethoven. I cannot play the piano. Does that mean that Beethoven could not play the piano? Of course not. Because that's insane. But this is the logic of the deranged leftist reporter. Your fans are somehow a reflection of you. No. No, they are not. The truth is, these deranged leftist reporters should be on their knees thanking Jordan Peterson for having racist fans. Because Jordan Peterson is not a racist. Jordan Peterson actually talks a lot about why you should not be a bigot. Why identity politics is a bad thing. If any racists are big fans of Jordan Peterson and they take his advice seriously, it is very possible that these fans might stop being racist because of Jordan Peterson's advice. So deranged leftist reporters should be thanking Jordan Peterson. They should be encouraging racists to watch more of his videos and read more of his books. But as you can see in the way this reporter asked this question, accusing Jordan Peterson of being an identity politician, as you can see, the deranged leftist reporter confuses an admonition of identity politics with an acceptance of identity politics. This actually makes total sense from the leftist perspective, and let me explain. This is all because of the second fundamental misperception of reality that plagues the left. This is why I constantly say in my videos that the left is wrong about everything. The first misperception is that the world can be divided into oppressed groups and oppressor groups. So in the oppressor group, you have white people, men, straight people, and Christians. In the oppressed group, you have pretty much everyone else. The leftist idea is that everyone in the oppressor groups is evil and must be punished, and everyone in the oppressed groups, they're all good and they must be elevated. We must redistribute wealth from the oppressor groups to the oppressed groups. This is, of course, ridiculous. There are good and bad people in every group. But the relevant misperception of reality is that since conservatives disagree with leftists about hating these oppressor groups and championing the oppressed groups, conservatives must champion the oppressor groups and hate the oppressed groups. Specifically, they believe that conservatives love white people, men, straight people, and Christians, and they hate everybody else because the left wants to elevate black people, women, homosexuals, Muslims, immigrants, etc., 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 and because conservatives oppose leftists, leftists assume that conservatives must hate all of these people. The truth is, and what we are constantly telling them, is that conservatives simply do not believe in equality of outcome. We believe in equality of opportunity. And because we believe that white people and black people, men and women, gays and straights, Christians and Muslims, because we believe all of these people have all the same opportunities here in America, we do not agree that we should try to elevate any of these groups artificially. The opportunity exists. Anyone who wishes to elevate themselves can. I actually had this conversation when I was in Chicago at the International Conference on Men's Issues. I was interviewed by this black guy. The guy and I disagreed on whether or not black people had less opportunity to succeed in America than white people. I said that we all have the same opportunity. He said no. He said black people have less opportunity than white people. So I proposed this to him. I said that what he perceives as a black and white problem is really a rich and poor problem. I said to him that a poor black guy actually has more opportunity than a poor white guy. A middle class black guy actually has more opportunity than a middle class white guy. And I said a rich white guy and a rich black guy, well, they probably have about the same opportunity because <laughs> rich people just have lots of opportunities. The guy sat there for a minute, and he stared at me, and he was thinking about my answer, and finally he nodded. He could not deny the truth. In reality, rich people absolutely have more opportunity than poor people. 
This is a natural and healthy consequence of a capitalist democracy. Is it fair to the kid that grows up poor? No. And I think that conservatives and leftists all agree that creating as many opportunities for poor and middle-class people as we can to elevate them in society, if they have any ambition or ability, is not just generous, but also valuable to the entirety of the society. However, these class-related disparities in opportunity are often mischaracterized as the product of racism, sexism, the patriarchy, homophobia, xenophobia, whatever. Never mind that Asians are on average more successful than white people. There are more women in university than men. Women get paid more out of college. Most of the poor people in America are white. Never mind that gay men are on average more successful than straight men. The leftists ignore all of these facts and a million more which utterly destroy their ideology because they want to believe and they want you to believe and they want everyone to believe that their favorite groups are victims. They are oppressed. They deserve your sympathy and respect, and they deserve to be the recipient of some kind of redistribution of wealth and or power. My point is simply this. Leftists are obsessed with identity politics. Because we disagree with them, they assume that we are simply against the people that they are for, and we are for the people that they are against. But we're not for the people that they're against, and we're not against the people that they're for. We simply disagree with their entire perception of the world. We do not separate groups into good guys and bad guys. We assess people on their individual merits, regardless of their race or their religion or their gender or their sexual orientation. The left cannot conceive of this possibility. And this is why reporters like this guy accuse people like Jordan Peterson of being identity politicians. It's because he has never been able to accept the true position of conservatives. The vast majority of my students throughout my academic career have been women, at least 80% of them. And well, certainly it's a, a very large proportion of women that are, that are reading and buying the book. So this is just a trope that journalists use. Your audience is primarily angry, young, white men. It's like, okay, fine, I've talked to about 350,000 people yeah. in the last year, and there hasn't been one incident, one in untoward incident of any sort by any single one of the people who've come to my talks, and that's 350,000 okay. people. So where's the aggression? Yeah, you see, what you've just done there, you took what I said and took it to an extreme. I didn't talk about angry, I just said white men. I accept that the angry side is a very small corner, yeah, but okay. Oh yeah, that question was so innocent, as if you didn't know that every other leftist reporter who has ever interviewed Jordan Peterson has tied his male audience to some kind of alt-right aggression or racism, please. You knew exactly what you were saying. Oh, I didn't say anything about aggression. You took that to an extreme. That had nothing to do with me. I, I'm just a, an innocent little reporter. Give me a break. One of the uh, things you're famous for saying is that you found it difficult to debate with uh, certain types of women uh, mm. because the normal rec things you would have recourse to uh, if you were debating men are not available to you. And what you meant there was you couldn't hit her. No, I didn't yeah. mean that. I you meant didn't that, mean that? You meant well, what no, did you mean? Tell me what you meant. I didn't mean that at all. Tell me, tell I me meant what you that meant. It's, it's, um, it's known among men that there are limits to the manner in which you can interact. And that those limits don't necessarily apply when you're dealing with women, especially women of a certain sort. And there's no way of regulating that, and that's a big problem. That's what I meant, and I think that it's true. This is actually quite a funny mischaracterization of a Jordan Peterson position. The reason that I find it funny is that it's actually a fairly 
easy interpretation to draw from what Jordan Peterson has said about this. Jordan Peterson's idea is that because men know that if they cross a certain line with another man, if they act or speak with a certain level of incivility, uh, there is the potential that they will get punched in the face. (laughs) So, So men, to some degree, constrain themselves within certain parameters of civil discourse so to avoid physical confrontation. Women, however, are not constrained within those same parameters. Women are never afraid of getting punched by a man in public, and certain women are willing to exploit this. These kinds of women who are willing to exploit the fact that men will never physically attack them have no motivation to act with any degree of civility. They can act as vulgar, as horrible, or even as violent as they want, and they do not fear any kind of strong reaction from men. Now, Jordan Peterson does not advocate that we release the social constraints that men have in society about hitting women. Uh, However, if that restraint were lifted, it would, of course, solve the problem. In fact, we would have an opposite problem, uh, which is that women would be so terrified of getting punched by men that they would no longer feel safe contradicting them in any way whatsoever. Of course, this is not a reasonable solution, and it's certainly not a solution that Jordan Peterson has proposed. But I guess that's why I find it funny. Jordan Peterson has presented the problem that some women do not feel the same social constraints about acting civil as men do. But he has not proposed a solution. So this guy, Simon Wilson, has injected into the problem Jordan Peterson has observed a solution. It is, of course, a ridiculous and laughable solution, but I suppose if you want to make Jordan Peterson look like a monster, it's a great solution to inject because it would certainly work, and if you are to claim that this is what Jordan Peterson is implying, those who are predisposed to hating Jordan Peterson, those who want to hate him already, will be perfectly willing to accept that this is, in fact, the solution that Jordan Peterson desires. It is, once again, Ridiculous. Why, you strike me as angry, and I wonder why you're angry. Um, I guess I'm not sure why I strike you as angry. You don't feel angry? At the moment? Mm. Not particularly. In interviews sometimes, Jordan Peterson definitely seems angry. I think that this is actually an expression of frustration. I think there is a certain level of frustration that naturally occurs in anyone who is mischaracterized over and over and over again in every interview they do. But to then characterize that kind of person as generally angry, well, that's just another mischaracterization. Well, okay, generally? No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, most of the places that I go, look, I can tell you what my life is like. You can tell me if you think this would be a life that would make you angry. Okay, everywhere I go, I'm stopped by people. At least a dozen times a day. I would say five times an hour. They're often young men, but not always. Almost all of them are exceptionally polite when they approach me. They'd like to have a picture, they'd like to talk to me, and they'd like to tell me why their life is substantially better since they've encountered my work. And I've gone to, I don't know, a dozen countries, maybe more, 15 countries, and talked to at least 10,000 people who've told me that story over and over. And so imagine what your life would be like if everywhere you went, what people did was come up to you and thank you because what they did helped you not commit suicide and get out of your addiction and stop being alcoholic and take responsibility for your life and try to put your family together and that things are much, much better and that they're often in tears. It's not something that makes you angry. It's something that makes you hurt. It's not making you angry now. It's hurt. It's hurtful to see how much need there is for that in society and how unfortunate it is that people need such a small amount of encouragement to lift themselves out of those sorts of 
of places of hell. And it is, it's, it is irritating to me, I would say, that men in particular, young men, have been discouraged to the point where that's such a common occurrence, when they need so little encouragement to move forward in a productive and progressive direction. I, I, I love this diatribe of Jordan Peterson's. I love how much happiness his work has brought him. He has helped so many people, and the gratitude that those people have for him is amazing. After listening to this rather inspiring response by Jordan Peterson, Simon Wilson comes back with, it's not making you angry now? (laughs) What a dick. You know what? Everyone who comes up to me tells me how much they love me. Well, that's not making you angry now, is it? (laughs) Now, I'll admit that he does kind of look angry, but consider what he's saying. I think it's fairly obvious that this is an expression of passion. It's a product of a combination, I think of three things. The frustration he has with the interviewer's lack of willingness to even try to understand him, the sadness he has for the brutality of the world, and the passion he has for helping people. That all seems pretty obvious to me. I think the interviewer believes, though, perhaps, that Jordan Peterson is secretly angry, and if he keeps poking at him, perhaps Jordan Peterson will blow up, and then he'll be really popular for being the guy who made Jordan Peterson really angry. So again, I say, what? A prick. I accept that. What surprises me is that the context of it is a context in which the me is stressed uh, and the more traditional questions of how you fit in, how you, div- how, you, how you cope with an evolving society rather than being able to uh, encouraging people to stand back and go, actually, the, encouraging, the, 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 the way society is evolving is wrong and we can step back from it and we can stop it. It seems to me there's a nostalgia you that you're offering upon, people you there. You insist upon this idea that the me's at the centre of this. So I talked to a young man a month ago who had stopped his heroin addiction about a year ago and it was as a consequence of watching my lectures. And he said he's had 12 of his friends do the same thing. And I insist continually that if you're treating yourself properly, you're doing it in a way that also benefits your family and also benefits the community. There's a strong communitarian ethos in there, and it, it has nothing to do no. with a, what would you call it, okay. a, a, a focused individualism. The people at the New Zealand Herald have done a very strange thing with the editing of this video. They posted the entire video all except the end. There is no closing statement. Jordan Peterson completes his answer to a question here, and then the video just stops. It's very weird. Another curious thing is that the final question in the video is actually an almost perfect repetition of a previous question, one of the earliest questions in the interview. In fact, this entire interview went a lot like many of the debates I've had with some of my very leftist friends. I tend to argue a position until it becomes very obvious that my leftist friend cannot win his point. He then shifts to another idea which he thinks maybe he can win. When it becomes clear that he can't win that point either, he shifts to yet another one. He'll do this over and over and over again until he runs out of ideas, and then he'll circle back to a previous position that I'd already destroyed. But because enough time had gone by, and because there have been enough topics since we first discussed that old idea, he just pretends that the subject was not already fully addressed. He acts as though his position on the topic is now somehow once again valid. And when this happens, I tend to respond in the same way that Jordan Peterson responded, which is, you keep focusing on this idea. I've already explained why you're wrong about this. Why did you bring this up again? I don't know what happened after this last question was addressed. I can only imagine that it was some question and answer thing that made Jordan Peterson look awesome and made this guy, Simon Wilson, look like an idiot. That's the only reason I can think of that this interview did not conclude with a typical thank you and good night. Speaking of which, it is about time 
I said thank you and good night. Remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. Thank you and good night. Those who would trade our freedom for the soup kitchen of the welfare state have told us they have a utopian solution of peace without victory. They call their policy accommodation. They say we offer simple answers to complex problems. Well, perhaps there is a simple answer. That we want our national policy based on what we know in our hearts is morally right.